Hi, this is Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm conducting a careers interview today. The topic is careers and privacy. It's my privilege to be speaking with Michelle Dennedy, Chief Privacy Officer with Intel Security. Michelle, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So, Michelle, the goal of this conversation is really to get some insight from you on how you built your career and what advice you would give to others that are building their careers in privacy. So I, I do appreciate you sharing some, some time and thoughts with me today. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think um, it's interesting. I just taught a course uh, at the law school at the Golden Gate University yesterday, and, and this was a big deal for them. They're coming, obviously, through the law path. And my, my piece of advice for them, sort of tongue-in-cheek, was just don't do what I've done. Uh, because I sort of kept flopping into the role accidentally. Uh, but it is a bit tongue-in-chief. I, I think there are a number of different roles and a number of different means of achieving them in privacy. And so I'll give you a little insight into my kind of crazy patchwork journey, but remember that when I set out into the world of privacy, it was exclusively really in the field of the lobbyists and the academics. There was no chief privacy officer role. There were only a handful of law firms that even offered outside assistance to a privacy professional, and the uh, privacy associations were still quite fractured and hadn't turned into the IAPP that exists today. So there were about 20 of us and a keg of beer at IAPP, and we're over 15,000 members strong now. So to set, you know, I just wanted to set the context of how this all happened. Give us a sense of what this winding path was, even if it's not one you'd recommend today. How did you get to where you are today? Yeah, so I started out um, really interested. As an undergraduate, I actually have a psychology degree and studied economics as well. Um, so I didn't start out as a technical person, and I didn't even think I was going to law school. I spent some time uh, working as a paralegal and went to law school at night. But my research as an undergraduate dealt with applied robotics in a special education um, setting for profoundly handicapped kids. So my, my inclination has always been and my fascination is how can humanity be improved uh, with the applied kind of gifts of technology and, and where the technology leads off, what does that mean? So when I went off to law school, I went to night school and worked during the day and I still had this love of technology and a, a profound sense of how important legal structures are. I know lawyers are the last PC. You can still make jokes about them, but it really is a servant community, and it's about looking at what are what are kind of the ethical and, and literal structures of society and what do they mean. So when I left law school, I, I started out at a great firm called Fish and Neve. It was a patent boutique, and they focused on things like um, the Wright brothers were their clients, as was Edison and Marconi and some of the great inventors. And so, again, in applied technology. Now, fast forward, I was mostly doing medical devices and drug cocktail type of cases in litigation at that point. So really nothing to do with information technology and nothing to do with privacy at all. Um, so I got a recruiter call out of the blue for Sun Microsystems, and this was in early 2000, late 1999. And um, they were looking for an IP lawyer. And so I turned up, interviewed around, at the end of the day, um, they said, hey, we really want a trademark lawyer, and you keep talking about patents. And so there was a, a switched identity, if you will, from a headhunter who told them that I had a ton of experience in trademarks, but really it was in patents. So we kind of chuckled to ourselves and said, well, you know, identity management, gone a little wrong, but it's been a great day. I like you guys a lot. I got the job. 
They just seemed like I was going to be a good fit. And because I wasn't a trademark specialist at that point and needed a good deal of training to really handle one of the big Sun portfolios, there was this little thin file called privacy. And nobody wanted it. Scott McNeely had just in a hop said, you have no privacy, get over it. And so as you can imagine, it wasn't something well-loved by many executives at Sun Microsystems at that time. Clearly the boss didn't think it was terribly important. But as a patent litigator coming from my background, I looked at Sun's portfolio products. And this, this long winding journey can be replicated. I really do believe look around you and contextually see what are the products that you sell? How do they actually protect information? You know, Sun was one of the great security powerhouses, just never decided to brand itself as such. Um, they had a lot of privacy-enhancing tools through just the way that uh, the Solaris platform and Java, et cetera, were, were uh, structured. I also had a lot of deal experience at this point, and so we acquired a small company called Grid Technologies, which was the foundation for what we called the grid and then the network, and then someone out in marketing land, probably Steve Jobs, started saying cloud. Um, so cloud plus privacy plus intellectual property rights together um, set out for an interesting platform. Along came 9-11, and I, was, I had a six-day-old daughter at the time. And so as much of a moving experience, and, and I had a number of friends who were murdered in the towers. I'm a New Yorker. You know, as, as much as all of us experienced that day, you kind of look down and you say, what, what does my life mean today? What can I do to really contribute in this situation and, and with this terrorist? And what I heard were a lot of pundits coming out and saying privacy is dead, just like we're hearing now after all this mass surveillance. Privacy is dead. Privacy is dead. Well, quite honestly, that's a fear position and a cop-out. And so we called our team together. You know, here I was, this weepy six-day-old, you know, mother <laughs> going crazy and looking for friends and still praying that some of them were going to be found in the rubble. And literally on September 12th, we built a business plan for privacy for my company. And we decided that we were going to take it out of legal, leave a legal support, which I thought was going to be me, and have a business leader that was dedicated to really accentuating the privacy-enhancing technologies at the time, and taking a position in the marketplace of leadership, getting together with the great Harriet Pearson and Barb Lawler from HP and IBM, and I think Peter Cullen hadn't been hired or he was on his way of being hired at Microsoft, but really getting into the big IT players and saying, what are we going to do to protect the world's information so that we get the bad guys when we need to get the bad guys and we can protect the rights and interests of this tiny little six-day-old baby? And that was my primary focus. And so that's where the privacy department and Sun Microsystems arose. And that's, I've been doing it ever since in, in different roles as chief governance officer for cloud, taking in security and privacy together, as information strategist for Sun, looking at the IP portfolio, confidentiality uh, practices, as well as privacy. And now here as an advocate in the Identity Project and now here at McAfee, um, kind of doing a combination of all of those roles. So it's it's quite long-winded, um, but I've reported to everyone except for marketing, I think, at some point in my career, CFO, CEO, legal, HR, property, standards bodies, you name it. Privacy doesn't quite have a home yet, and, and you can be effective in all of those various places. Michelle, if you were to look back on all the different roles that you have filled in your career and, and to where you are today, what would you say have been the essential skills and the essential experience that prepare you for what you're doing now? 
You know, quite honestly, it goes way back to my, that collegiate experience of experiencing the interface of humanity and technology. I've never lost that. It sounds soft, but it actually isn't. It's very powerful. When you understand the purpose of a piece of technology, whether it's hardware or software or applied technology, cloud is, is simply, you know, outsourcing, time sharing, um, with a different business plan and a different volume and scale. But at the end of the day, you're solving a problem. And if you look at privacy through that lens and that experience of really understanding the goal, then I think your engineering efforts become much clearer. What's a high-priority bug to fix that fails in one of the parameters of fair processing for data becomes clearer, and you can explain it to someone as a mode of value for an enterprise and a mode of right for the individual um, about whom you're processing data. So I think those early experiences, really looking at the intersection of technology and what it can do, um, are very, very helpful. It also kind of elevated my mind and my the way I'm kind of sewn together is I look very horizontally. There are awesome privacy off, um, lawyers and um, privacy officers that are strictly looking at the letter of the law, the nuance of the law, it's tremendously detailed and complicated and important. Mine is a little more of the horizontal of what can we do to make this interface more beautiful so people will want to inform themselves and be attracted to reading privacy notices. And the point isn't just to have compliance. The point is to have communion of understanding so that we can build a better product. And then what do the engineers need to build? What are the requirements, kind of capital R requirements, and I think it's that, that cross-disciplinary flexibility. Um, and, and I did sales for 11 months, three weeks, and two days at, at Oracle, um, but who's counting? And, and that, you know, that perspective of where's the money made? You know, companies are there to make money. And so instead of coming in at the last minute and trying to negotiate a limitation of liability that's disenfranchised from the deal, if you get in early enough and you understand, of course, this guy's going to make his quota, what he doesn't realize is he's sometimes talking to the wrong guy. And the requirements of our customers, if we're in the IT industry or receiving that technology into our technology sectors within our bigger companies, is oftentimes bigger. So instead of getting a small, quick deal, what you're really trying to do is build a greater platform so that your customer can get into a mobility play or there's new banking regulations, and they need to quickly uh, figure out how they're going to rationalize those into their environments without losing um, upward momentum and, and growth. So when you start to look at things from that business perspective, I think those are the skills that really are um, the most flexible, transferable, and robust. Michelle, if you were starting your career today, how do you think the demands might differ? Oh, my gosh, it would be totally different now. I mean, there is such a thing as a, as a chief privacy officer, a, a privacy architects, engineers, analysts, attorneys, CISOs. Um, I, I think I would do a number of different things. First of all, if you're just getting into the industry, a really great overview is what's called the CITP, the Certified Privacy Professional Training Course and Certification Programs. Those are run through the IAPT, which is the trade association. There is a trade association. I would join it. There's so much now in the marketplace. Of course, I would read the Privacy Manifesto. I mean, who wouldn't? I shouldn't leave that off. Um, but I, I would really, there's so much more materials now. If I was interested in this space, I would figure out for myself, you know, what's my personal kind of hedgehog concept if you're a, a Collins fan of good to great. 
what is my big greatest contribution that is unusual from that of others. That's that's where I, I would tip my spear and really head in that direction and, and bring in the value of all of this knowledge that we've gained over the last 15 to 20 years in privacy. Okay, you opened the door. We've got to give a plug to your book now. Just briefly talk about the Privacy Manifesto. And, it's and shameless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, so we wrote a book. I wrote it um, purposefully with a very much cross, um, uh, cross functionality and skill set. Uh, I wrote it with one of the great operationalizers, if that's a word, of privacy, Jonathan Fox, who is our global director for privacy here at McAfee, and we worked together back at Sun. He was the, the client when I first was given that thin little file. Uh, Jonathan Fox was the editor-in-chief um, for Sun.com, and before that was the first in the door at Random House doing digital rights to content. I mean, this goes you know, back to applied technology. This is the guy that helps operationalize things. So part of what we talk about in the Privacy Manifesto is not just engineering stuff, although we do talk about that. It's not just for IT people. Uh, we also talk about engineering your um, audit capabilities. Oftentimes you're telling the auditors which questions to ask, which is fantastic if you want to have a quick audit, but maybe not so much if you want to leverage these guys to be your, your uh, kind of cops on the beat. Um, it, we also talk about the various roles and how they're growing in the environment, and, and a lot of that comes from that operational space. And then the third author is my father, Tom Finneran, who's been an architect in the security, privacy, and metadata field way back since the 1950s and 60s. So looking at the evolution, going from what would it mean if you had to dump your data every night um, in the early 1980s. That was his first software company that exited in 1982. Um, that was what it did. Is you know You literally were overloaded with data, and you had to dump it so that physically you could run these giant mainframes after they warmed up, you know, in an hour and a half in the morning, right? Um, and now we're kind of faced with the same dilemma. We have too much data, and, and we have this native belief that it's cheap and free and easy to access, and that if we just keep collecting it and mining it, we're going to find, you know, a pony under this pile, when instead what's happened in our environments is, you know, you once bought this beautiful China doll, and it's become like that show Hoarders on TV, like she's now buried under a bunch of detritus, dead pizza, and rat feces. That's what happens to data when it's not curated. So really taking that cross-disciplinary, um, the very focused engineered perspective, the, the organizational perspective, and then a little bit of the identity zinginess that I, I hope to bring to the table. So that's what that, that book is about, and it, it is, it, it's available for free. You can buy a paper copy, but you can get a free copy, and that's really important to me because I do want people who are interested in this career path or they have to partner with people with this crazy new discipline to really understand the, the value to organizations uh, when you bring real privacy, real customer satisfaction to the table. Well, Michelle, it's clear you've made an investment in the profession. I know you've got a, a vested interest in it. When you hire a privacy professional today, what are some of the key qualities that you seek in that individual? So I actually, um, I look for, and I actually just hired a terrific privacy attorney. I'm just, I'm so, so pleased with, um, with his work. I'm looking for someone who can think both in their own jurisdiction. So think about what it's like to be someone who's headquartered in California but also very much think about what it means to be a federated state in our type of democracy here in the U.S. and 
in the same brain, think about what it means to do business and have sources, resources, and supply chain coming out of Asia, where intellectual property notions are wildly different, um, and, and then the Europeans. So you have to have someone who can think geographically, both uh, vertically and horizontally. We hire a lot of outside counsel. Where we need to shed them is when they can only think in their own jurisdiction, because it's simply not helpful for the kind of data processing that we do um, to, to detect and prevent threat overall as a company. I also want someone, I tell you, and I say this to everybody internally and externally whenever I train, the 10K document is such a powerful thing. Your organization, if it is publicly traded, has to come up with uh, 10Ks and 10Qs, right, financial statements. But they also have these wonderful little treats for someone in a very horizontal role like a privacy person where they talk about the CEO's letter of intention for the next year. Now, mind you, they've written this document. It's a highly, highly curated document because if you lie in the 10K or the other SEC filings here in the U.S., you get in big trouble with the SEC, and that's a very sharp stick. So it's not like this is an instantaneous news feed, but if you want to get a good beat on your perspective, this is, a, this is a document for you. And if you're not publicly traded, there are people in either the people that you hope to acquire you, your customers, or uh, similar environments that, that have published their own versions of this type of a document. I want people to take that meta-business view. Of course, go to the all hands and, and listen to what they want to tell you about your brand, but I also want to you know, not just experience news as it comes over Facebook, but think about your company in terms of what are its legal requirements, what are the public statements that we're going to be held into account for making or breaking, and then look at all that other environmental information. So I'm really looking at people that look at that. And if they can think that way and look that way, I can teach them what they need to know in privacy. Michelle, in terms of career experience, what would you say are the essential elements for a privacy professional today, someone that really wants to, to make a difference in the career and, and get their start there? Yeah, so I, there's a couple different levels. I mean, there is there is a place for you if you are a nine-to-fiver kind of person and you really want to focus on things like um, making sure that vendor agreements are in compliance with either BCR or Safe Harbor data transfer requirements. There is a place for you. It's a nine-to-five kind of job. It's much more regular. There are, you know, there are some tough moments, of course, when you have big deals going on. So there is that level. I think where you really want to make a difference you have to kind of um, be prepared to be a little bit fearless and be prepared for people to stop you and tell you their religion about privacy. So oftentimes, you know, um, this is an experience. So, so Ruby Zeffo is the chief legal officer for privacy and security at Intel, and, and she had this bag um, that she was carrying around that said, I heart privacy. And someone stopped her in the street and said, you know, the thing that you love is dead. Well, I get that all the time. Privacy is dead, don't you know? And I, and I look at these people going, that's kind of like saying tax is dead. Well, you can avoid paying your taxes. I wouldn't advise you to do it. turns out privacy is not a religion. It's a thing, and it's a profession, and there are rules. And, yes, they're evolving. So I think you have to be very kind of certain of yourself because I, I can't tell you the number of CEOs that have looked me dead in the eye and said, this is a pointless exercise, or just do the bare minimum that will keep me out of jail. So you have to have a little bit of courage and new convictions that people matter, 
Um, and that's what this is all about at the end of the day. People, human beings, and, their, and the data that describe them is all that will leave us when we are done on the planet. It's the stories that we tell about each other while we're here and when we're gone. And if you can kind of embed that courage inside of yourself, even if you're someone who people don't believe that I'm an introvert, but I actually am, but I'm so passionate about protecting my daughters that I was forced to come out into the sun and just fight for this. So I think you've got to want it. You got to be forceful about it in in a nice way, in a polite way. You have to be tremendously flexible. You have to kind of take it on the chin when other jurisdictions swear, even though they don't know what you do in your country, that your country sucks. You know, so you you just have to keep going and going and going, chip by chip by chip, and understand that it's a long term fight, but it's such a worthy one. I and and it's fun. I love it. I meet people like you, Tom. Michelle, final question for you. If you were to boil it down to even a single piece of advice for someone starting a career in privacy or maybe restarting their career and changing course, what fundamental advice do you offer them? Yeah, so the first thing I would do is to become articulate in the terminology. You know, take a CIPP course, pick up a manifesto. Uh, there's tons of information on privacyassociation.org. That's the IAPP site. It is global. We're going to Asia in a couple weeks for our first big conference there as well as Europe. So don't think that you have to be in the U.S. Um, so become conversant is kind of my, my core piece of advice. And then start networking. You'll find that um, I'm not that old, even though I'm one of the older people who've been around in privacy, what you'll find is in the privacy community, we are very tight-knit and incredibly generous. I've, I've never encountered a chief privacy officer who didn't totally open their office to somebody who wanted to come into the profession and just have a cup of coffee or conversation or email exchange and say, here are some things that I've experienced. And, and most of them are like me who didn't intentionally do this. We kind of fell into it. Um, but it's a very, very good uh, community that's ready for you. So if you're a total geek and you never want to see a human being because you love coding, there's a community for you in privacy. If you are a crazy extrovert, a real one, um, there's lots and lots of stuff. Um, you know, there's the Future Privacy Forum, there's Epic, there's all this ACOU stuff. It's just delicious. There's stuff for you. If you're an attorney, if you're an engineer, and it goes on. So anywhere where you're where confronting information about people, um, think about adding a privacy skill little by little, and then you become that thing. And then if you want to make the leap and become a chief privacy officer, um, it, it's a great leap. I, I don't regret it one little bit. Michelle, it's great advice. I appreciate your time and your insight today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much, Tom. The topic has been careers in privacy. I've been speaking with Michelle Dennity, chief privacy officer with Intel Security. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.